first reading is from Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, Because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory be to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. 
Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you will not always have me. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Father, we pray to be lavish in our acts of devotion unto you for the service of your kingdom, for the fame and worship of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. So we're back to John, and our gospel reading follows after that turning point in the narrative when Caiaphas, the the high priest had just recommended to his council members to just get rid of this Jesus, this troublemaker. Because Caiaphas did this cost-benefit analysis, and, and he thought that it would be more beneficial for Jesus to die than it would potentially cost Israel with a very good chance of a Jewish revolt that would emerge out of this messianic fervor around Jesus, especially with Passover just around the corner. So we read in chapter 12 of our gospel reading that Bonnie read for us. Six six days before Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany. Now when we read therefore, we must ask the question what there is for. John is hinting here that Jesus went to Bethany because he knew somehow that the gears of his countdown clock have begun to tick. His hour has begun. Therefore, Jesus went on his way to Jerusalem to prepare for this appointed time, the time that he would die on the cross. Now, that's the uh, the principal backdrop of our story, the immediate setting. The immediate setting is an intimate dinner party among Jesus' closest friends. Jesus went to Bethany not just so that he could be at a certain checkpoint on his way to the cross, but he wanted to spend one last time. Only he understood this. Only he felt this would be his last time with his closest friends, just to have a good time. The dinner party was actually prepared for him. He was the guest of honor. Because it was only recently that Jesus had raised his very good friend named Lazarus from the dead. News of this spectacular miracle had gotten to the religious leaders, and that was the last straw for them. This is it. Everyone's going to follow this Jesus. And that's when Caiaphas recommended, we got to get rid of this Jesus. 
It would be better for Israel to survive. But in absolute contrast, in absolute contrast to how these leaders reacted, Jesus' friends organize a party, a dinner party, as their collective attempt to say thank you, to express their thanks to Jesus. The dinner party was the best thing they knew that they could do to prepare to show their appreciation to Jesus for bringing back to life a son, a friend, a dear brother. Now let's go back to the start of the, the gospel in John, right? Then when Jesus made his first public appearance. Where was he? He was at a wedding. He went to a wedding in Cana. And he did the first sign when he turned water into wine. He kept the party going. Then this time near the end of John's gospel, his Jesus' own appreciation dinner, this will be the last time that Jesus will be out in public. This will be the last time that he'll be out in public with his friends. And not everyone knew this, of course, but for Jesus, his own party will feel at some point like the reception party at his own funeral. At his own funeral. This would feel at some point like a goodbye party to him. I'll contrast that to the very beginning. That was a wedding. The party was, has just started, and here he is now. His head has matured to this point. I'm going to die. It's going to be my last hurrah with my friends at this party. It feels like, to me, my own funeral. And we'll see that it's because of Mary. It was because of Mary, Lazarus' sister, that, that got him to think this way. Not, not in a strange, bad way, but this is a good thing, as we'll see. Back to our story, Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, they host the party. True to Martha's portrayal, she was the one serving everyone. She's this type A organizer. She's the one who planned all the party. Lazarus here was described to be reclining at table. He was probably told to just sit back, relax, you know, for having just died. Um, and then Mary here, he's, uh, she's true to her character. You know, she gravitated around Jesus specifically at his feet, uh, as, a, as a posture of devotion of a student disciple to a rabbi, which, of course, at the time, only male um, disciples had the privilege of apprenticing. Now, of course, on top of already hosting the party, Mary then busted out this bottle of nard that she had kept for this moment. Now, she had the bottle either as a family heirloom, or she had bought it herself. It's obvious that Lazarus and and his sisters were very wealthy. They probably come from a very wealthy family. That's why earlier on they could afford to have so many mourners and professional mourners at the time of, their, of Lazarus' funeral. Now, among the gospel writers, John is the one who describes this scene with the most astonishing details. According to John, Mary had this bottle of pure nard. It's the real concentrated stuff. It's undiluted. It's not mixed with other things and oils and things that cheapen it. See, the nard extract is this very aromatic oil, and it comes from a very hard-to-get species of this honeysuckle flower that grows in the Himalayan mountains. And then John says that Mary had a Roman pound of this concentrated nard. Now, a Roman pound is equivalent today to almost a pound, a pint, sorry, a pint in volume. We would learn that this amount of pure nard costs a year's worth of the daily wage at the time. In today's currency, that bottle that she had would cost almost $30,000. $30,000. 
and she pours all of it at once at Jesus' feet, very quickly, pours it all out. John then describes, and he's the only gospel writer to have written this, to have recorded this. He says, the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That's, of course, stating the obvious. That's what would happen if that much concentrated perfume is poured out all at once in a small area. This is John's way, perhaps, of enshrining what Mary did as an attempt to recover what happened in the past, to bring it up, as it were, to your nostrils, to his reader's nostrils, his audience. Smell and imagine the aroma of what Mary did for Jesus. The other Gospels, Jesus said that Mary, what she did, would be remembered wherever the Gospel is preached. It's the sheer and absurd extravagance of what she did for Jesus that was strikingly memorable. You could smell it. It was so grand. It was exquisite. And then, as though Mary couldn't top it any further, she uncovers her hair, loosens it, lets it all down in mixed company, and uses it to wipe the excess perfume on Jesus' feet. Jesus would be reclining at this point. That was an incredibly vulnerable and intimate display of affection for her rabbi. Now, woman, no woman at the time would be caught with her hair uncovered and loose and mixed company. That would be such a faux pas. Now, everyone except for Jesus and Mary would have felt so uncomfortable, so embarrassed for Mary. They would have been thinking, come on, Mary, what are you doing to yourself? What are you doing? From the moment that Mary had seriously considered this, thought this would be a good thing to do for Jesus, she obviously didn't care what people would think. She didn't care. She didn't give a hoot what people would have thought of her. She meant this only for Jesus. She meant this only for Jesus. But she meant it to do with the company, in the company of her and Jesus' tight-knit community. Of course, she did that in public. That was the point. The people whom they both love and trust, among family, among friends, as though in Mary's own personal way, she's expressing on everyone's behalf. This is how much you mean to us, Jesus. This is how much you mean to me, Jesus. This was the best way she thought she could express her maximum appreciation, her devotion, her praise and thanksgiving to Jesus who had radically changed her own life, who she had seen had radically changed so many people's lives, who had just brought back from the dead her own brother. What else could she do? This was the best she could do. I mean, imagine this for yourself. Jesus doing something like that for you. Jesus brought someone you loved. Back from the dead. Let's go to the cemetery. Let's go to the gravesite. I will raise her again, and you will be able to embrace her. I will raise him up. You will be able to reunite. I will completely heal you, your friend, your family from terminal illness. And Jesus restores you, brings you out of a life of destitution, a life of addiction, a life of self destruction. If he did that for you, just for you, 
Would you not somehow be compelled to show in the best way you know your maximum appreciation to Jesus? Or at least feel immeasurably indebted to him as to conceive of ways just to somehow, and you know it's impossible just to repay him. That would be appropriate to do. That's reasonable, isn't it? If you have a heart, if I have a heart, we would want to do that for this Jesus. Mary's response was pure humanity, as pure as the nard she had poured on Jesus' feet. But she understood that she owed so much to Jesus, even her own life. So she gave away what she personally thought best for Jesus. To give away her most expensive, material, tangible possession. And she knew that wouldn't even be enough. That wouldn't be enough. But despite doing so in the company of her friends and family, not everyone took what she did, this grand gesture, very well. They didn't take that very well. That was way too much, Mary. That's way, way extravagant. It made everyone uncomfortable. Of course, Mary knew the risks of her extravagant show of love to Jesus. She understood that she would be misunderstood. But that was not her ultimate concern. It ended up not being her concern at all. It's her worship and thanks to Jesus was just that. That's her personal best, pure, lavish, unadorned, unhindered, unqualified giving. No strings attached. Everything for you, Jesus. You've given me everything, everything for you, Jesus. Now let's put what Mary did in another perspective. Right? It won't be for another five days from our story that Jesus would have to teach his male disciples who clamored for the best seats in God's kingdom, that they should rather clamor to serve one another. By specifically, they should just stoop down low. You should rush to get down and wash, wash each other's feet. You need to do that. If you want to be my disciples, you need to serve one another. Be the best at being the servant of all. So he led by example. He took off everything except his undergarments. He took a washcloth and a basin, and he washed each of his disciples' feet one by one. But none of them ended up washing Jesus' feet. Except for Mary five days earlier. Five days earlier. Who was really then the first one to lead by her own example. Even before Jesus could do that. She did not use water. She used the most expensive and hard to get substance at the time. She gave her best. No one had to tell her. Jesus didn't ask her. Jesus didn't have to teach her. She volunteered. She planned it out. It was natural for her. In that sense of having understood, by God's grace, she had understood how much she was forgiven, how much she, was, she had gotten from Jesus. She was giddy in anticipation for the privilege of this pure, lavish, unadorned, unhindered, unqualified gesture of her worship for Jesus. Do we take the same risk? Do you take the same risk? Do I take the same initiative? That same authenticity and extravagance in our show of worship? Of thank you, Jesus. In absolute service and devotion to Jesus and His kingdom here. In our lives, in, in your home, in your workplaces, in your neighborhood. We take that risk and initiative, that extravagance of generosity. Even when we would be mis misunderstood, 
We would be criticized. We would be dismissed and waved away with everyone shaking their heads. Now, of course, Judas Iscariot shook his head at Mary. As if, like, on behalf of everyone, I'm going to shake my head. He broke the uncomfortable tension in the house. And then he voiced what others may have wondered. They were too afraid to say it, perhaps. Why was this perfume not sold that much? This could have been sold. This could have been money given to the poor. What are you doing, Mary? This is the first instance in the gospel of virtue signaling. Now, Judas, yeah, made the generally plausible point. But it was inappropriate. It was so rude. So rude. Not only did Judas dismiss and downplay the significance of Mary's personal gift to Jesus, Judas made it about him by making it about the poor. He inflated himself at Mary's expense by shaming her verbally in front of everyone. He feigned to see the big picture. I see the big picture here. I know what's up. He feigned to care about the poor when in fact he didn't care at all. Because John let us know that it was Judas who would help himself with the donations that was earmarked for justice and mercy. Now Judas here is a cautionary tale for you and me, for us. When we're always, especially these days, when we're tempted to sneer and jeer as our attitudes towards those who may be different especially when we can hide behind screens and keyboards. We can hide behind our social media. It doesn't take much to criticize, right? Oh, it's so easy to dismiss, so easy to mock. Oh, it's so easy to downplay other people's personal attempts to show something and do something good, to express something they hope to inspire others. They're putting the subs out there. It's a risk for them. And they're doing things they don't necessarily, we don't necessarily understand or appreciate. And we may have our good and plausible reasons to judge and critique, but perhaps underneath all of that is our own insecurity, our own arrogance, our jealousy, our closed mindedness. Or worse, we're showing that we actually have a critical spirit that just somehow enjoys quarrels and conflicts. Worse yet, perhaps bullying and downplaying, putting others down. There's no place for that in the kingdom of God. There could be no such room, no place for that in God's kingdom, in this church, especially for us who say we're Christian. But Jesus immediately defends Mary. Leave her alone. Leave her alone, Judas. Notice that here that Jesus doesn't mansplain for Mary, presuming to know her motives and speaking on her behalf. Rather, Jesus reinterprets her actions in light of his own imminent death that only Jesus could speak about. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. And this is that moment at a party that it would feel for Jesus that this is the funeral, his own funeral. Because Jesus saw in Mary's what, what she did for him, a prefiguring of he saw in the future of what would happen to his own corpse when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea would just smother him with all the spices that he could get and wrap him and put him away in a tomb to embalm him with their own love when he is dead. 
Except that Mary unknowingly had just done the same thing, embalmed Jesus while he was alive. It wasn't too late. That's the far better circumstance, right? To do something for someone, to say something to someone while they're still alive, right? There's that sentiment, that dreaded it's too late moment in our lives. She gave her best while her most beloved was still alive. And Jesus interpreted that gift as her final act of devotion to him in his presence, fully alive. Because she would have done the same thing, the exact same thing to his corpse later on, on that day of his death. Of course, Mary didn't understand this. But Jesus commands her in front of everyone because he knows, he knows how much she loves him. The pure joy of bestowing her personal gift to Jesus would not be robbed from her. Judas tried to take that away from her. Jesus wouldn't let him. This too shall not be taken away from her. Now finally, Jesus makes this fairly controversial remark. The poor you will always have with you, but you don't always have me. The poor you will always have with you, you don't always have me. Now Jesus couldn't possibly be diminishing the real needs of the poor. This is Jesus after all, right? He's, he's social justice incarnate. Neither was he suggesting that worship and social justice are mutually exclusive things. You can do the same things. You can worship God and be for justice in this world. If anything, Jesus here was actually affirming Jewish law because he was paraphrasing what God said through Moses in Deuteronomy 15. It's what he said. There will never cease to be the poor in the land. You'll always have the poor in your land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your siblings, to the needy, to the poor in your land. That's what he's affirming. But so what? So if Jesus was merely a man, though, he's putting himself above the, the real needs of the destitute. That's completely either delusional or unspeakably egotistical. But Jesus here is establishing his own priority in light of his imminent death. This, again, he's talking about his burial here. Because not only could Jesus legitimately claim as the God, God's son that he is due this worship, because he himself would not very far from now prove his own pure, lavish, unadorned, unhindered, unqualified self-giving for the health and the wealth of this world, when he would be stripped from all human dignity, stripped from head to toe, stripped and striped by the Roman whip, stripped of his undergarments, and stared down by everyone as he would be suspended, bloodied, and bruised on that cross, becoming as one purely destitute, absolutely rid of all things, only his life to breathe out, only his blood to shed. He literally did not own anything on that cross, and he gave it all away. He became as one completely stripped of everything. Mary's extravagant sacrifice, of her material best, without her knowing and intending, that became an imitation, in fact, of what Jesus would do his own self-giving, when he would pour out from the broken vessel of his body his pure and perfect blood upon the feet of the poor and the oppressed, the forsaken and the castasized, the hated and the haters, the saints and the sinners for the Marys and the Judases of this world, 
for you and me to wash our feet and wipe it all out clean with this most pure and perfect blood. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive our purest nard, to receive our purest praise, to receive all our powers and privileges, all our wealth and our health, all our wisdom and all our wills, all our might and strength, all earthly and celestial honors, the eternal glory and undefeated tributes due to the immortal and invisible God, to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Would we then give ourselves away? Give our personal best, our material wealth, our bodily health, our voices and volitions to make this Jesus known and believed and loved and obeyed in the world, starting with ourselves, the people in our homes, in our workplaces. Let us with Mary worship and adore and work for Jesus with our purest, our very best to give. With all that we are now, with all that we have, with all that we would become by God's grace, for the glory and honor and praise of the name of Jesus Christ, who was slain for the life of this world. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.